they all made it to Colorado safely. Um, seen a couple of videos from their time at camp, and I know God's really moving. He does every year. Everyone's going to be blown away on Sunday whenever they share their testimonies from, from camp. And I'll be going back tomorrow, so I'll be at services tomorrow. I'll check on them Thursday, Friday, and then we'll come back early Saturday morning. So I know a lot of parents probably miss their kids a little bit. But um, before I get into the message, if I start squinting a little bit, I'm not staring at anybody. It's nothing, uh, it's nothing personal. So I went earlier today to get my eyes checked. And the main thing I had in my mind was, whatever you do, don't let them dilate your eyes because I'm going to need to see today. So, you know, they do those little tests. They blow in your eye or do whatever. They put some drops. I was like, okay, it's just drops. And then they did something else. So then I asked the nurse, I was like, uh, you guys aren't going to dilate my eyes, are you? And she was like, oh, we already just did. So I was like, is there any way we can kind of – she was like, no, no, no. She was like, uh, it's already been done. And I was like, okay, well – when can I see again like normal because I, I need to see today. And she said uh, between two to five hours. And uh, it's definitely been a lot longer than two hours. And I still see a blur. Whenever I was walking in through the side door, Nicole's not in here, good. So I was walking through the side door, and sometimes it's cracked. So I just open it from the top. And to me, it looked like it was cracked open. So I was just literally just reaching at nothing. <laughs> and she kind of looked at me crazy like, what are you doing? But uh, – that's why. So if, if I kind of look like I don't see anybody here or I'm staring, I just can't really see. But with that, before we get into it, I just have a couple couple little Christian jokes to lighten the mood a little bit. Some of these are some I shared in the past, but we've had so many new people over the years, which is an amazing thing. So many lives that have been changed in this place that most of you guys probably haven't heard it. So here's the first one, and if if you feel like laughing, laugh. If you don't, I didn't make these up, so I won't take it personal. This one is called Little Johnny's Pain. At Sunday school, they were teaching how God created everything, including human beings. Little Johnny seemed especially in, interested when they told him how Eve was created out of one of Adam's ribs. Later in the week, his mother noticed him lying down as though he were ill and said, Johnny, What's the matter? Little Johnny responded, I have a pain in my side. I think I'm going to have a wife. <laughs> see, see. Um, number two might not be as funny, but it says, how many points to get into heaven? A man dies and goes to heaven. Peter meets him at the pearly gates and says, here's how it works. You need 100 points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done and I give you a certain amount of points each time, depending on how, how good it was. When you reach 100 points, you get in. Okay, the man says. I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her and loved her deep in my heart. That's wonderful, Peter says. That's worth two points. Only two points, the man says. Well, I attended church all my life and supported its ministries with my tithes and service. Terrific, says Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point, I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I also worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic. That's good for two more points, Peter says. Two points. 
Exasperated, the man cries, at this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. Bingo, 100 points, come on in. See, sometimes we can try to do all types of, of things and rituals and works, which works are good, but it doesn't, doesn't make up for God's grace. It doesn't make up for God's compassion. And just listen to the things that Donnie was saying during the offering. It was just, God will never leave us nor forsake us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we have or what we don't have, God has so much compassion for us, for us all. And the world that we live in today, we know that this world is getting colder and we see things on the news, we see things in just in society, daily living, just like last week we saw someone destroy our, or the city destroy our Jesus sign outside. So things, you can, you can have a mentality of, you know what, I'm just going to put my blinders on, I'm going to just keep walking this straight and narrow path, and I'm not worried about other people, I just need to make sure I make it into heaven and don't get distracted by what others are doing, but God calls us to have compassion. You see, the Bible says, that we are supposed to have compassion just like Christ. And as we look into the definition, compassion means a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. A lot of times we can tell others, we can tell people that we see day to day, we can tell them about Christ, we can quote all kinds of scriptures, but if we don't have a genuine love or desire for that person we're trying to reach, it's going to fall on deaf ears. One of the times at conference, one of the pastors who came from another country, I can't remember which pastor it was, he was saying every person has needs. And people need to know that we genuinely care about them as we witness or as we try to reach to them. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time together this evening. I pray that you will just speak to us all, speak to my heart, speak to everybody in this place, Lord God. And I just pray that we'll get a better understanding of your compassion that you have for us and the compassion that we're supposed to have for others. I just give you all the thanks and praise and honor and glory in this place. Bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's open up to Luke chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 30. Say amen when you get there, please. Now, if it takes me a little minute to, to read this, you know why. Because I can barely see. But a lot of times when we look at compassion and we we come in contact with different people we never know we may be the only bible that person gets to see there's a lot of people who maybe have never been in church and they meet us for the first time and this could be our opportunity to show christ with our actions or with our love that we have for one another but sometimes day-to-day -day life comes along and maybe we had a bad day or maybe we get frustrated and that's that one opportunity that that person at work or that person in our family have been like you know what there's something about that person, and I, I don't know what it is. I know they go to church. I know they say they love Jesus, but I don't know if it's real or if it's a phase, and this is that time I want to open up to them, and that could be the day that we're just like, you know what, man? I've had a bad day at work. I had a bad day at school, and we ruined that whole opportunity, and we don't even realize it. So as we look at this verse, there was a lawyer who was asking Jesus 
about what he had to do to inherit eternal life. He knew he needed to love God with all his heart and with all his soul and all his mind. But he also asked about loving his neighbor as himself. And he asked who his neighbor was. So as we begin in verse 30, or we'll back it up to 28. And he said to him, this is Jesus, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. He was basically just telling him, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. But he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him out of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you, you may spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So as we look at this story, a lot of times we can look at it as like, Okay, guy got hurt, he was beat up. People didn't pay attention, and somebody came and took care of them. But a lot of times when we read the word, we need to put ourselves in, in the shoes of the people in these stories. I know that I did, and it, and it kind of opened my eyes. As, as we look at the story, it says a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So it says a certain man. It doesn't say that he was a, a rich man or a poor man or a, a good man or a bad man. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says a certain man. So a lot of times we can... We can put ourselves in the shoes of this certain man. It could just be an average day-to-day person. And he said he was going to Jericho. Jericho in that time was a dangerous place. It was known for, for stealing, robberies. There was all types of things that happened in Jericho. So as we look at this certain man, he probably didn't know what he was getting himself into. It doesn't say that he was a man from Jericho. It just says he was a certain man. So a lot of times we could look at that in our own lives as how many times have we've just been innocent or just going about our day and and then life happens. A situation happens that changes us or that rocks us to our core. And it said he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing and wounded him and departed him, leaving him half dead. I know we've all had situations where things have happened and we feel like there's nobody out there. There's nobody who understands our pain. There's nobody who really cares. There's nobody who, who could just, who we could really reach out to in those situations. And then we see a person Kind of like what I was saying earlier, how we don't know we could be the only Bible somebody sees. Maybe we see that person that we've looked up to or somebody that we cared about that we feel like could have helped us out of our situation. It says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. We could, we could replace priest with a, a certain Christian came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, we could put it in as another Christian. When he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. You see, when people are hurting or when we go through hurts and, and we see that person we feel like can help us and they just continue to walk on and pass, our hearts gets a little colder. 
Then another person walks by, doesn't have any compassion. Our hearts get a little colder, then a little colder. And then the next thing you know, we don't want to have anything to do with God. Then we don't even realize he's real. Then we choose to believe whatever we want to believe. Because if God loved us so much, why would he leave us in this pain? Why would he leave us in this hurt? Why would all the people who are supposed to help me or supposed to care about me or supposed to love me, why would they leave me? And it's easy to have those thoughts. Maybe some of us have had those thoughts in the past. But it says that a, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. See, the Samaritan could have easily just said, you know what? Here's some money. Go, go take care of yourself. But he stopped. Out of everything he had planned that day, he put all his own personal goals, personal agendas to the side and reached out to that hurting person. And that's what God is calling us to do. And maybe you can you look at this story and and you're saying, OK, well, yeah, I'm like the Samaritan. Whenever I see somebody hurting or somebody in pain, I do things. But it's, it's hard to see everything that God puts in front of us when we're so concentrated on ourselves. See, we live in a crazy world, like I was saying earlier, but it's easy to get caught up on, okay, I got to do what I got to do to get by. I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of my kids. I got to take care of my job. I got to take care of my wife. And then we miss out on people who really need the gospel, people who are really hurting. We'd be surprised if we just reached out to some people we see every single day and just said a hello or how are you doing? Can I pray for you? And we'd be surprised at some of the things that we hear. But we'd never know if we don't reach out. And a lot of times people are really, really good at putting up a facade. I know I used to be. I know I've had friends who, from the past, who we get in a group of people, maybe at the gym, and talking about all kinds of crazy things and just dwelling on things that used to happen in the past. And then whenever you pull them aside one-on-one, then they pull you to the side and say, man, I appreciate those verses that you sent me. Keep sending them to me. I know God is going to deal with me. I just got to I just got to get get myself together. And, yeah, though, that might not be the answer that we want to hear at that time. We want them to just deny themselves and repent and get saved. We want all that stuff to happen. But sometimes it's an ongoing process. Not too many people get saved the first time they hear the gospel. But if we get to the point where it's like, uh, I don't need to have compassion on him or them like they God's had enough compassion on them. That can't be our attitude. And it's not only a matter of reaching out, we have to follow up. The Samaritan in the story, it says in verse 35, on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So he wasn't just, okay, there was just my one good deed for the day and I'm going to carry on and do whatever I want to do. He genuinely cared about that person that was hurting. And he chose, he made a decision to follow up. A lot of times we have to make that decision. It's a choice to have compassion. We're not born with it. And the definition, again, it says a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering, to, change, to see someone's situation change. How many times do we hear news go on about even just some of the things we prayed about and we think man I'm, I'm glad that that wasn't me and that's true but how many times do we truly are moved 
by other people's situations or other people's problems. As we continue, we'll continue on in, in Matthew, beginning in verse 9, chapter 9. You can say amen when you get there. And before we get to, we read in Matthew, you may be in that place and you're saying, well, I feel like the guy who, I feel like the certain man who's been left out there. The Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. So maybe you're in that place and you've seen one person walk by and didn't do anything. You've seen the next person walk by. God still has a plan. If that, if that certain man who was hurting got to the point where he was just, you know what, I give up. There's no more hope for me than as the, the, the priest that walked by, the Levite that walked by, he wouldn't have saw the Samaritan. His head would have been down. He would have felt like there was no hope for me. God doesn't care, but his, his eyes happened to look up and he saw the Samaritan. So whatever you're going through in this place, you might be in a spot where you just feel like, I don't know if God's really hearing my prayers. I don't know if God really understands what I'm going through. He has compassion. He has compassion. Maybe that, maybe that Samaritan is coming for you tomorrow, that Christ has sent your way. So as we go to Matthew chapter 9, we'll begin in verse 35. This is an example of Jesus showing compassion. It says, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. So as we look at that verse in 35, Jesus is doing what Jesus does. And Jesus did back in those days. He taught, he healed, he preached, he did, he did everything. But it still came to verse 36 when he saw the multitudes. So even Jesus himself took a step back and saw all the people hurting. We can get to the point where we're doing all our day-to-day stuff, good things. We're, we're praying, we're reading the word, we're going to church, we're doing all these things. But sometimes we can get to a point where they turn into routines and we just got to take a step back and see the people that are out there, see the people who God's placed in front of us, see people who are, like the Bible said, people that were weary, scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. And we need to have compassion on those. And as we continue, a lot of times, even whenever I was going over this, these scriptures, part of it is stuff that I went over with the Carrollton Church last Wednesday. Some stuff is stuff I went over in men's discipleship one time. But there was one thing that really got to me as I was reading in Jeremiah. A lot of times we, we think about that verse in Romans 5, 8 that's saying, while we were yet a sinner, that Christ died for us. And we think, man, I'm, I, me and my wife, we have these conversations all the time and just think about, like, the crazy things we did before we knew Christ and how he still loved us and he still had a plan for us. And a lot of times that's our mindset of, man, what he, what he spared me from, what he, what he saved me from. I'm thankful. But when we take a step back, that wasn't the first time. Like God had a plan way before that. God had a plan before Jesus came on this earth trying to reach his people. 
So as we go to Jeremiah chapter 18, I want us to look at that. See, God was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah during those times, and he was trying to get all the people in Israel to repent. He was trying to get them to open their eyes and see that I've brought you into this land. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. I've done that for you. And you guys have all just turned away, decided to do your own thing. And God used Jeremiah to preach to those people, and he did day and night. It even got to the point where Jeremiah wanted to quit. He wanted to stop because they were hard-hearted. They didn't listen. But he still stayed in it. He still stayed and, and still obeyed what God was saying, even though that those people were, were hard-headed. So as we go into Jeremiah chapter 18, we'll go to verse 11. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. It says, now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord. Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now, everyone, from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. So this was this was even said over 400 years before Jesus stepped foot on this earth in the flesh. God was still reaching out to his people then. This is over 2,000 years ago that God's still been trying to reach out. And we still decide to be hard-hearted. And the craziest thing is he, he was telling them, he said, hey, I got something planned for y'all that you guys aren't going to like. It says that, behold, I am fashioning a disaster. A disaster. This is the same God that just wiped out the whole earth earlier in Noah's day. And you would think that if he was saying, I'm, I'm planning a disaster for y'all to shake y'all up. You would think we as people listen. But I can speak for myself. God's done so many things in my life in the past that it just went in one ear and out the other whenever I, before I was saved. And it says in verse 12, and they said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans and we will everyone obey the dictates of his evil heart. So the people basically say, you know what? I know God has this plan, but we don't care about that. That's hopeless. That's hopeless. The, the caption in my Bible says above verse 12, it says God's warning rejected. And we got to remember the same God who did this and, and brought them into the land and did miracles for them that they all saw. This is the same God that we serve today. And it's amazing that he could do all these things and people continue to reject him. We continue to reject him. And the fact that later on as you read, he, he scattered them and, and they were punished but then he still had a plan for them hundreds of years later through Christ. Christ came. He said, these people don't listen. I've tried to speak through the prophets. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. So I'm going to come down in human flesh as God on this earth. And he came as Jesus Christ, our savior. And he was still rejected. And the fact that he was still rejected and he still deals with us, that is the ultimate compassion. The ultimate compassion. And it's an amazing thing. Sometimes we, we can still get mad at people at a stoplight. And Jesus 
been trying to get a hold of our hearts for thousands of years. And he still has compassion. We can get to the point where something, something doesn't go my way. Something small, something big, doesn't matter. Christ has been trying to get a hold of us for thousands of years. And the craziest thing about it is the Jews rejected him then. They rejected him when he died on the cross. Most are rejecting him now. And he's still coming back, and he still has a plan of salvation for them. And it's to the point where, as we continue reading in verse 13, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, ask now among the Gentiles, who has heard such things? The virgin of Israel has done a very horrible thing. So he was even saying, ask the Gentiles who don't know anything about me. Doesn't this stuff sound crazy? that I'm warning you, I'm telling you, get right. And it got to the point where Christ came down and he reached the Gentiles, which are us, which is us in this place. And it's an amazing thing that when we think, man, Christ had, he cared about us that much, that even though he's been rejected, God's been rejected basically since the beginning, since, since Adam and Eve in the garden, and yet he still wants to deal with us. And, we, and sometimes we can, we can get in an argument with a sibling and don't want to deal with them forever. And they haven't killed us. Last time I checked, I think everybody's in here. I think, I hope. So he hasn't, he hasn't, he hasn't, we haven't had a sibling kill us. We haven't had a sibling mock us, well, maybe mock us, but not for 2,000 years. And that same love, that same compassion is what we're supposed to show. And again, I'll read the definition again. It says compassion, a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. And we all know people who are suffering, whether it's financially, mentally, spiritually. Those are people who the same way God spared us and showed compassion on us, he's using us to do the same to those who are in this world now. like to read a verse in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Just putting it into words of, of what Jesus did for us and what the sign of true compassion Hold Philippians 2. I told you my eyes are bad. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. And I'll just say it for time. It says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus, who knew no sin, never sinned, lived a perfect life, did everything he was called to do, became sin for us on the cross. That's compassion. And to the point where he did that on the cross for us, and we were reached, and, and it's even times where we might be people in this place who our parents knew the Lord, and we make crazy teenage and young adult decisions to go off on our own path. And God still had enough compassion to reach back out to us. 
I grew up in church all my life. I didn't live it till I was probably like four years ago, but to the point where God could easily have been like, dude, you, you served in the church. You did this. You did that. You basically were mocking me your whole life, and I'm still going to have compassion on you. And when we look at those things, it kind of can sober us up to the point of like, have I been showing that type of compassion on those around me, on my loved ones, on my family members, on those who I just meet in passing? It's a sobering thought. So back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Musicians, if you can come forward. I'd like to close with a, with a story. There was a guy some years ago, he, he, played, he was a college basketball player. So he played college basketball. He got a lot of opportunities. He, he played in college. He had times where he got to play on TV, even in high school and different things like that. And he had goals of playing professional basketball overseas and living out his dreams and things like that. And then life happens. Situations happen. Hearts grow a little colder, a little colder things out of his control and he gets to the point where he's just angry he's angry at everything and sometimes we may have been at a place where we're just angry and we don't even realize we're angry at God we're angry at the same person that showed all types of compassion all types of love for us so this guy was angry he used to go to the gym where he was at and just take out all the frustration of things not going how we planned even prayed about some things didn't go as it planned and he would take out his frustration at the gym on the court yell at people he'd do everything but hurt people and there was a guy there at, at the gym who saw him for a couple years talked to him he didn't, he didn't hit him upside the head with a bible or anything but he just he just continued to just to love him and didn't judge him in any way. And then one time that guy who who seen the guy angry at the gym a lot of times, he caught him on a day when everything was kind of relaxed. Everything was a little calm. And he, he just talked to him. He didn't even just showed him that he cared. I don't even know if the guy even brought up Jesus. Maybe he did. Probably did. But the guy was so angry and frustrated at the time, he wasn't even, he didn't even catch the Jesus word. He just kind of saw, man, this guy, this guy cares. I don't know why, but he cares. So days turned to weeks, weeks turned to months, months turned to years. And there was another time where the two guys met up with each other again and he invited them to church. So him having respect for the guy and knowing that the guy cared, he was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to come. So he shows up, or his friend thinks he shows up to church. He texts him and says, hey, man, how was service? And he texts him back and was like, I didn't go. I was frustrated. I was mad. And he texts him back, and he's like, sorry to hear that. You never know what God 
has in store for you, you shouldn't try to come back next week. So he's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that for him. So he goes to church and he hears the word. Music was a little interesting to him. But he hears the word and he feels like, okay, that's, that's a good place. Does he go back the next week? No. A lot of times it takes people a little more than a week or a little more than a service to know that God is, has a plan. God has it all under control, that there's no coincidences. Time passed. He comes back. And then something about his service that God spoke to that guy's heart. He didn't come up for an altar call. He, he, he couldn't even really move. It was just God speaking to him, telling him, you have to give me everything. You have to give me everything. And he did. And God moved in his life in ways that he couldn't even imagine. In every aspect of his life, whether it was with family, whether it was in his finances, and in, in, in every everything you could think of, God moved. And there's no person who could tell that guy that God wasn't real. He's seen God do miracles to the point where he was trying to start a business and and he needed money for a certain thing and a random dude just pulled up on the road and was like hey I see your car is messed up I can fix your car the car the insurance gave him $1,300 to get his car fixed and the guy spoke to him and said I can fix it for $250 that sounds like a way to get robbed but that was God. And on the guy who fixed his car for $250 on the back of his van, it said, I love Jesus daily. I love Jesus daily. I love Jesus daily. And the guy who fixed his car, his phone number, for whatever reason, never worked ever again. Ever. And the things, those moments of God's compassion is why I take his word very serious. Because that person, that person was me. And the person who had compassion on me was Pastor Blake who's in Carrollton right now. And it's not like we were best friends. It's not like anything like that. It's just God put something on his heart to, you know what, let me, let me reach out to this person and, and let me show him I care. And it's amazing thing how God can change a life. And we're all in this place for a reason. God can use each and every one of us to touch somebody else's life. And who knows what that person can do with it. And that's the same thing that's been happening once this gospel was preached. People went out in different places. Yes, they preached the word, but they had compassion on those around them. So you may be in this place and feel like, man, I don't have that type of compassion where I could let somebody mock me and do this and do that. I don't either. None of us do. That's where God's grace comes in. And hopefully pastor can preach the one on the grace because grace is an amazing thing to the point where he knows we're not perfect. He sees our hearts. He just wants us to just to just try and do it out of love. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time together, time that we can worship you and praise you and fellowship with you, Lord God. And I thank you for speaking to our hearts. I thank you for speaking to mine and just giving me a better understanding of how much you love me, how much compassion you had on me. And that this didn't just happen with me. It didn't just happen something recently, Lord, but you have been 
trying to reach the hearts of man for thousands and thousands of years. And we thank you that we're in this place and we're in this place for a reason. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence, but it is by your will and it's by your spirit and your plan, Jesus. And I just want to ask a question with all our heads bowed and eyes closed that you hear the word on compassion and it's something that none of us can can do on our own without Christ. And maybe you're at the point where you're like, well, I don't I don't know Jesus like that. I don't I have I've never asked him into my heart. I've never truly had a relationship with him. But tonight, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and there's something in your heart. There's something that's tugging at you that's making you think, you know what? I want to have that relationship. I want Christ to put that compassion in me. I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. I want him to change my life. I want him to change my thoughts and change my circumstances. And I believe that he is real. If that's you, I'd like for you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. I saw your hands. If there's any, anybody else, maybe you're in this place and you're, and a lot of times we, we get the feeling of feeling like we're invincible. But if something was to happen this evening and you were to breathe your last breath, are you 100% sure that you'd be in heaven? I've heard a, heard a pastor say one time that salvation isn't something to play with. If, if you could go on a, a free flight to your favorite destination in the world and somebody told you there's a 10% chance that this plane would crash and you would die. There's not anybody who would get on that flight. But at the same time, if he said the same thing, if I was to tell you there's a, a 10% chance that heaven and hell is real, why would, you, why would you play with that? Why would you take your chances? And in this place, we know that it's real. In this place, we know that Jesus is real. And I'm just going to ask one more time. Maybe you're in this place and you're, you've gotten to the point where you're like, I want to know for sure that I'm saved, that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Just lift your hand up. I want to pray for you as well. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. I see your hands. And maybe you're in this place and you've had a relationship with Christ. You knew God and you've served him. You loved him. You've you had a true, genuine relationship with him, but for whatever reason, just like that certain man on the road to Jericho, life happened. Situations happened. Things out of your control and your heart got a little colder and a little colder. And before you knew it, you weren't walking with the Lord like you used to. And if you want to come home this evening, if you want to give your heart and rededicate yourself back to Christ, I'd ask for you to lift up your hands. I want to pray for you as well. God bless you. As we stand to our feet, if you raise your hand for, for any of the things that we, we just prayed about and spoke over, I'd like for you to come to the nearest aisle and, and stand in front of the altar. I'd like to pray with you. Don't be ashamed. The Bible says that if, if you confess me before man, that Jesus will confess you before his father in heaven. But if you deny him before man, he will deny you before his father, which is in heaven. I'll just give it a couple more seconds. 
about 30 seconds if anybody feels the need that they'd like to have prayer for salvation. God bless you. God bless you. And with that being said, the altars are open for everyone for prayer.